morning. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> Welcome to First EC. Glad to see everybody here this morning. I had a couple of announcements just because of the schedule being changed, being a little bit different during the holiday season here. First of all, if you're visiting with us, welcome. We're glad you're here. But if you would take the time to fill out a little card that's in the back on the back table, just let us know who you are and uh, any of the contact information that you'd like to share. Uh, This afternoon, we have caroling that's happening at 4 o'clock. I guess until our voices run out, um, <laughs> or until people just can't stand waiting for the cookies any longer. Um, there will be cookies and, and pizza afterwards, so I'm um, looking forward to having you all come out. We're going to stand out here and sing to, the, sing to the traffic, sing to anybody that's walking by. So, no, um, no Bible study tonight then, and we're taking a break. No Bible study until next month, January 22nd, we'll start up again. Um, this Saturday, 6 o'clock, will be our candlelight service, and then we will be having worship on Sunday morning, Christmas morning. I said that there. That was my fault. I'll stand out here. <laughs> that didn't do any good. So anyhow, Christmas Day, we will be having worship service. No Sunday school. Um... But remember, children can come in their pajamas Christmas morning. Then on January 1st, we'll have no Sunday school. We will have worship service. And on that day, the adults will be having communion. (laughs) You you thought I was going to... Nope, nope. So communion, January 1st, that Sunday morning. Um, I think I've got everything that I highlighted here and wanted to share with you. I do appreciate all of you that sponsored, paid for poinsettias. It's beautiful up here. It, just, it gets more beautiful every week, um, just the way the whole church is decorated. And can't wait till candlelight service when all the candles are lit then too. So, Anything else that we need to know about regarding our schedule, things coming up? Anything that the family needs to know? Okay, well then let me, let's pray. And begin our worship service then. Well, good morning, Heavenly Father. I stand here and I feel the warmth of the sun coming in through the, the windows here. And it's just, it's just a delight and it's, it's a remembrance too. It, 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 reminds, me, uh, it reminds me of how your, your son has warmed us, warms our hearts. And through this Advent season, we're just, we're just waiting, waiting for him to come waiting for his arrival. It's, it's coming soon, and we're, we're just waiting with anticipation. Father, I pray that this morning everything that we're here doing, whether it's singing or whether it's the, the greeting of each other or uh, just, just anything that we do, I pray, Lord, that everything that is done here this morning would be done to your honor and to your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll invite um, Sam and Joyce to come up. They're going to help with the, with the candle lighting the, of the Advent wreath. I'm going to try using that acolyte stick if I didn't break it when I, 
when I knocked it over. go ahead and light you. Okay. So today we're going to light the fourth candle in our Advent wreath. That's the candle that reminds us of God's gift of love. Before we do that, however, let us remember the gifts of God that are symbolized by the other candles in the wreath. Push that. Push it up. <laughs> push it up just a little bit. You're going you're gonna to go out. There we go. Um, so we're going to Remember the gifts of God symbolized by the other candles in the wreath. A gift of hope. The gift of peace. And the gift of joy. God loved the world very, very much. The angel tells Joseph that the baby to be born will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God loves us and desires a relationship with us. He also wants us to be in relationship with others, loving and caring for them. Jesus came to show us how to live that love. We are Jesus' disciples in the world today. Disciples are followers, not just spectators. Jesus wants us to be active in the world, loving others the way he loves us. This candle reminds us that God loves us infinitely more than we can imagine and that we must do our best to demonstrate that love by loving one another. So let's pray. God, we thank you for loving us and for sending Jesus to us to teach us about your love. Help us to remember that your love will never come to an end. Strengthen us to love others as you love us. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for your help. And for our call to worship this morning, I'm going to use a poem that was written by our own James Rothline. He shared this poem with us in I wanted to use it as our call to worship this morning. It's called, Let the Glory Come. Let the glory come, a child upon a midnight clear, virgin born, prophecy promised and delivered in its time. Centuries of silence shattered, a baby's cry in a livestock cave, as angels, herdsmen, and magicians praise and kneel and seek out the king who became Amen. Thank you, Jim, for the poem. I'll invite you to stand as we sing together and praise the Lord this morning. Good morning, everyone. Just, just real quick introduction. So in Sunday school this morning, we just briefly discussed some of the parallels between Jesus and between Caesar Augustus, who was the ruler of the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus' birth. 
And one of those parallels was when Caesar was in power, all the people declared that he was the bringer of the great Pax Romanus, the Roman peace. But when Jesus came to the earth, all the angels declared peace on earth and goodwill to men. I heard the bells on Christmas Day Their old familiar carols play And mild and sweet their songs repeat A peace on earth, goodwill to men And the bells are ringing Like a choir, they're singing. In my heart, I hear them. Honor, goodwill to men. In despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth. on earth goodwill to men but the bells are ringing like a choir singing does anybody hear them peace
Good morning. encourage you to return to your seats. <laughs> Not scolding. I love the fellowship. Hopefully we'll get a chance to do some more this afternoon while we're singing, after we're singing, right after service. Nobody, nobody has to run away as soon as service is done. So We're going to take time now to, um, to lift up praises and prayer requests before I do, I did want to share a card that we got as a church. Um, this came from Barth and Nancy. Um, there, it's, a, it's a card that says, I'm very grateful because you were very thoughtful. It's a thank you card. And then they wrote personally, Thank you, everyone, for the beautiful Christmas cards you gave to my dad. That's Jim Gerber. Um, he really enjoyed reading them. I know many of you had the list of shut-ins. You wrote the Christmas cards. Hopefully you knew who you were writing to. I just wanted to to share with you just how much, um, how much they're appreciated. I also want to try something this morning. As we're sharing, as you share a praise or as you share a prayer request, when you're done, I'd like the rest of us to recognize that you're, you're not speaking to me, you're speaking to God. So if it's a praise, I'd like the rest, when they're done, I'd like the rest of us to just say, Lord, hear our praise. And if it's a prayer request when they're done, I'd like us to say, Lord, hear our prayer, um, and then I'll still finish with a, with a prayer. But, um, you know, I'd like you, to, like you to help me out with that. Let's just recognize that these, these prayer requests that are being lifted, they're not being lifted to me, they're being lifted to God. So, and I hope that doesn't deter anyone from sharing. Um, so anybody with a praise or a prayer request this morning? Thelma. Oh, Georgine, okay. <laughs> she has spoken. <laughs> okay, Georgine. Good morning. I just want to thank my church family for all your cards and prayers and phone calls while I was laid up at Hershey Med and at home then. It's a, a real blessing to know that other people are praying for you and that God is with you regardless of the situation. So I thank you all, and I do wish you all a very Merry Christmas. <laughs> well, let's see. Let's check. <laughs> Lord, hear, hear her praise. Yes, okay. <laughs> and then we... I think I could just say ditto to Jordine's. But I want to thank everybody sincerely for the support I got during the time Arvo passed and also prior to that. Everybody was so kind, um, wishes to help, and uh, even afterwards, the support was phenomenal. I don't know what we do without each other sometimes. 
It would be an awful lonely life. And he loved God, and I feel good about where I believe he is, and I just praise God. Thank you. Okay, so now I'm going to throw you all off and give you a praise and a request at the same time. So should I pause in between? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I wanted to say have a praise today to say all oh, my kids are here this morning, but I only managed to get one out of a possible five. We picked an extra one up last night. But anyway, um, we, we celebrated a birthday yesterday. My daughter, Cassidy, is going to be 17 on Tuesday, which is weird because I don't feel any older, but um, that, that's, our, that's my praise. So, Lord, hear our praise. <laughs> and as far as the prayer request, uh, if you could keep a family of a young girl in your prayers, the girl's name is Langston, um, special needs child, she had a lot of mental and physical challenges. She was actually with Anna Vey in the NICU when they were babies. Um, Anna Vey's mom knew Langston's mom, and actually my dad was the one who, who married them. Um, but sadly, uh, Langston passed away in her sleep earlier this week. So if you could just keep keep the family and everyone in, in your prayers for that. No, yes. Uh, praise. Um, last year, I believe at the end of the year, I had requested prayer for Dave's nephew and his wife as they were trying to get pregnant. Um, and she, uh, Adeline Rain was born this week, six pounds, so many ounces. So it's a praise that there is a, another coal in the family. Also, I wanted to have prayer for the people that were affected by the tornadoes. And also, Sam heard someplace this Wednesday night, you're supposed to see the star at Bethlehem. And it wasn't seen since, what, 2012? 1226. So maybe Channel 8 will have on what time or where to look at. No, there it is, but does that mean I have to stand perfectly still? <laughs> Keep trying it? Okay, we'll go with it, and you'll have to make those funny motions again if it happens again. I didn't notice it that time, so. Okay, well, let's, let's, go, ahead and, let's go ahead and pray. 
Good morning, Heavenly Father. Thank you for giving us this new day, an opportunity to serve you and an opportunity to praise you. Father, you heard the prayer requests this morning. You heard the praises. We could list a million and a million more praises, ways that you have, have helped us this week, ways that we've seen you this week, ways that we've thought of you, that you've come to mind, and just so many ways that we could praise you, Lord. Father, we know that you'll take the prayers into consideration, and we pray that your will be done. And we thank you for the way that you provide for us. We thank you for the income that we get, and that we give a portion back, Lord, as our offering, and we ask you to bless it and to use it to further your kingdom and to further your church. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll join me now in singing hymn number 86. morning. Sorry. Now I see that my computer is de- is gone. Yeah. Uh-oh is right. <laughs> if I have to wing it. Okay, here we go. I'm so sorry. Can somebody dance, sing, whatever? Well, while I'm doing this. <laughs> there we go. We got, we got a dancer. <laughs> okay. 
All right, well, by now I bet that you um, have probably received quite a few Christmas cards, and um, I assume they're probably two different, two different kinds. I mean, it seems that you either get the silly ones with Snoopy or Charlie Brown or Minions or Star Wars, or I don't know what the most latest, most current version of the silly cards might be, or you get the cards with the religious theme, right? And these, these probably have a star, maybe a nativity scene. You might see Mary and Joseph staring at a feeding trough because there's a baby laying in there. Or maybe you got a card with some angels floating around. They're playing these very long horns or they're singing. Maybe you got one that shows a couple of fancy dressed guys with some turbans on that are carrying some boxes and vases, you know, and the card says something like, wise men still seek him. You got to think, what, what would the Christmas story be without angels or shepherds or wise men or a manger, right? Or a special star, this star that we might have an opportunity to see again. Doesn't sound like it would be much of a story, does it? But actually, it would be John's version of the Christmas story. None of the props None of the visuals, but no less of a Christmas story. And it's summarized this way. The word became flesh. A profound truth, the real reason we celebrate Christmas. We don't really celebrate Christmas because of the shepherds or because of the wise men or because of the angels. They're a part of the historical story, but the real truth of the story can be pared down to those four words. The word became flesh. That's the story of Christmas. And we spend time focusing on details about the props, right? You'll hear me challenge some long-standing traditions. I don't think the manger was really made of wood. I don't think Jesus was born in a cave or an inn. I think he was born in a house. And I'll share with you sometime why I feel that way. Were there only three kings from the Orient? Were they really kings? Or were they astrologers or some sort of other wise men. But John doesn't bother with any of these distractions because they're really not what's important. He focuses on the most important part of the story, what's happening from a supernatural perspective. You know, what's God doing in the supernatural world? John brings to our attention the non-negotiable truth that we celebrate at Christmas time: the fact that the all-powerful all-knowing, all-present, infinite, and eternal God of the universe became a human being. Now Luke and Matthew give us an account of all the earthly elements of Jesus' birth, and they give us an account that can be easily and beautifully portrayed by actors, both young and old. But John gives us an account of the heavenly elements of Jesus' birth, one that's Not so easily acted out, but one that is no less significant. And the only thing that matches between these two accounts is the presence of a gift. In the Luke and the Matthew accounts, we see wise men bringing gifts. In the John account, we see God bringing a gift. So what what gift did God bring? Well, let's read John's account of the Christmas story. And I'm going to go ahead and read all of the verses. In John chapter 1, 
verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Let's pray. Well, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find in it. And we thank you for the word. Help us to understand this morning the confusion, if there is, clear it up. Um, Help us to understand what is meant by the word became flesh. I pray that you'll use me as your instrument. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we hear Luke's account, remember he's, he's the doctor with all the details, when we, re- when we read his account, we, we recognize the tenderness of God as he lays there in the manger as a weak and vulnerable baby. But when we hear John's account, we're reminded of the love of God and his desire for relationship with us. We read, the word became flesh. God put on skin and came in human form. It says, and and made his dwelling among us, or he tabernacled with us. So he didn't sit at the top of a mountain that you had to go hiking up to if you wanted to find out what is the meaning of life. He's not sitting up there perched with his legs crossed at the top of some super high mountain. He didn't position himself in some kind of unapproachable castle where he would just send out decrees and commandments. He became a human and lived right here with us. He walked around town with us. He crawled in and out of boats with us. He sat at meals with us. He ate with us. God became a man. The infinite became finite. The 
eternal entered time, and the invisible became visible. And yet he did all of this without giving up one iota of his deity. He was still the infinite, eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God. That's one of the mysteries of our faith. He was fully God and fully man. 100% God, 100% man. Even more confusing than our kids' new math these days. But we understand this one better yet for some reason. There's a theologian, Wayne Grudem, he writes this. He says, the virgin birth made possible the uniting of full deity and full humanity in one person. This this portion of the Trinity could have descended from heaven as a fully grown man just showed up with his hands on his hips. Here I am to save the world. Here I am to save the world. Yep, somebody gets it. But if he had done that, it would have made it hard for us to see that he was just as human as we are. Or he could have been born of two human parents, but then that would have made it hard for us to see just that he was truly God as well. And so this theologian writes, he says, God in his wisdom ordained a combination of human and divine influence in the birth of Christ so that his full humanity would be evident to us from the fact of his ordinary human birth from a human parent, and his full deity would be evident from the fact of his conception in Mary's womb by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Now, during the first century, there were plenty of pagan stories about heroes who were half God and half man, only 50% God, 50% man, but those stories always included cohabitation of a God with a human, living together, knowing each other. There's a very physical aspect in those stories, but not in John's account of Jesus. Mary is simply informed God's word is all it takes. The word became flesh. What's meant by the word? John uses the reference three times in the very first verse of his book here. And yet it's never fully explained. So when we see something like this in the Bible, when a a word is used and not explained, it's because the author knows that the word is so much a part of the culture that everybody who's listening is going to know what he's talking about. John wasn't writing to 21st century readers, though everything still applies to us. He was writing to 1st century readers who just knew what he was talking about. And he's talking about much more than the general meaning of word as we know it. John was a Hebrew speaking to his own people, other Hebrews, and for them the word had unique power. For these people there was a living reality about words. The Hebrew word for word is dabar. It also means thing or affair or event or action. A word spoken was a happening. Once it was spoken, it could not be separated from the event that it evoked. It doesn't quite work that way with us today, right? Remember a few years back in the Miss Universe pageant when the wrong girl was crowned and Steve Harvey was able to say, oops, I made a mistake, it's really her, and that person then got to wear the crown. 
Well, think about Isaac when he blessed Jacob and then later discovered that Jacob had stolen Esau's birthright. Couldn't, couldn't Isaac have just said, oops, I made a mistake and, and made it right? Well, no. Jacob could not take back his blessing. The words had been spoken and the blessing stood. And we know that when God spoke originally, it evoked a creative, awesome event. All creation was called into existence just by the word of God. The scripture celebrates over and over again the power of God's creative word. Isaiah 55, verses 10 to 11. This is the Lord speaking through Isaiah. He says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. It was this word that called Abraham to leave his familiar, safe surroundings for the insecurity of a far-off country where he would become the father of a mighty people. Abraham didn't see anybody. He noticed a bush burning But he moved because he heard a voice. So when John wrote, in the beginning was the word, it would trigger a whole bunch of memories among his Hebrew countrymen, and they would understand. But John was also reaching out beyond his fellow Hebrews to a huge Gentile audience that was dominated by Greek thought. And for these people, the word, or logos, also had special meaning. Another commentator, Roger Fredrickson, he points out that as far back as 560 B.C., Heraclitus, I think I've pronounced that probably wrong, had asked if there was anything permanent and lasting within the constant change that was all around him. He was famous for saying, no man ever steps in the same river twice. You've probably heard that. As soon as You have stepped in the river, you've made a change, the river is moving anyway. It's not the same river if you go back and step in it again. His answer was that the logos, the the reason of God, controlled and guided this stream of change. Later, the Stoics defined logos as the mind of God, the eternal principle of order in the universe, that which makes order out of chaos. So if John had started his gospel by declaring that the Messiah had come, well, it would have meant something wonderful to the Hebrews, but it would have meant absolutely nothing to the Greeks. But by using the word, the logos, John was speaking to both the Jews and the Greeks, two widely divergent cultures. The Greeks were seen as sophisticated, inquisitive, philosophical, The Jews were righteous and traditional and struggling to be faithful to the law. It was amazing when you think about it that John could share the gospel narrative, the story of the good news, with these two different cultures at the same time using a simple, single concept that carried such profound meaning for both. So he has a connection with both cultures, logos, the word, but what, he do, what does he say about this logos? 
He says, in the beginning was the Logos. The beginning of what? Is he talking about creation? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Is he talking about that beginning? No, before that beginning, before time itself. When, when does the story of Jesus really begin? Well, way before Mary and Joseph. There's something that we can't even imagine, something beyond our understanding of space and time. The Lagos, the Word, is uncreated. There's never been a time when it was not. Here is existence beyond time, something that already was when time and finite being came into existence. Created existence can only be understood in the light of the uncreated Word or Lagos. But this Word, this Lagos, it didn't dwell in lonely isolation. We read, and the word was with God. The literal translation here would be, and the logos was towards God. The whole existence of the word is oriented toward the Father and is in eternal, active communion with him. The word is in the presence of God, face to face with him. This relationship can be seen in the words of Jesus himself. In John 5, he, writes, he says, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And later on in John 14, Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. The Word and the Father are not identical, but they are one. It's a mysterious unity that we see as creative fullness in God's being. Genesis 1, 26, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our Likeness. It's, it's like a family decision is being made by the persons of God. It's because of this understanding of God being persons and yet being one God that can be seen in the Hebrew language. The most common word for the Hebrew deity, the Hebrew God, is Elohim. And here's just a little bit of a Hebrew language Thing for you. Anytime you see a Hebrew word that ends in I am or that em sound, it means that the Hebrew word is plural. For instance, we talk about cherubim and seraphim. They would pronounce that like cherubim and seraphim. Cherubim, I am on the end, that means many cherubs. Seraphim means many seraphs. Elohim literally means many gods. But it's used with a capital E to mean the God, the one God, yet many gods. The Word and the Father are not identical, but they are one. And the Word was God, it says. Here is the climactic statement in John's introduction of the Word and God. All that can be said about God can also be said about the Logos. John was a Hebrew, a culture that was fiercely monotheistic, believing in only one God. 
Their faith in only one holy living God was not just something they talked about, they actually lived it. It was a life and death matter which no amount of social pressure or cruel persecution could stamp out. So John's statement, the word was God, was a startling affirmation of faith. But it was made from someone who had accepted the invitation from Jesus to come and see. From someone who ended up beholding the glory of Jesus firsthand. John had moved beyond the academic monotheism of the law into the wonderful realization of the incarnate word being God. So what, God, what gift did God bring on Christmas? Well, I think too often we mistakenly picture a king sending his prince or, or an authority figure sending an heir to some other land to bring order to that kingdom. And when we think about the Trinity, we, we try to make analogies to define it. One of the closest might be an egg. It's made up of a shell and the white and, and the yolk. But if I were to poke a hole through the shell and the white and, and take out all the yolk and sit it somewhere, I don't have an egg anymore. I just have an egg shell. And when God sent the word or sent the logos, it wasn't like moving his yoke somewhere else. It wasn't like removing a portion of the Trinity for 33 years and then pouring that yoke back into the egg. And maybe our problem with understanding how this whole thing worked is because we say that God sent his son and that conjures up the visions like I just described. Son, I want you to go down there to that planet called Earth. Well, here's another way to understand it. Think about a time when you've played peekaboo with a toddler. You know, when you, when you put your hands in front of your face and then you pull them apart and say, peekaboo, then you put your hands back together again, right? The toddler never gets tired of this. They laugh every time. And if you're a grandparent, you laugh with them every single time and never get tired of it as well. This game is actually a developmental milestone that babies typically hit around nine months. Knowing that objects, in, the, in this case your face, knowing that objects are still there even though they are hidden. It's an important step in brain development. So if you think about it, Faith, believing without seeing, is something that we learn as babies. The toddler knows your face is still there even though they can't see it, and they laugh when it's revealed. Child psychologists refer to this as teaching children about object permanence. You're still there even when the toddler can't see your face. The revelation of the incarnate word of God is a lot like that game of peekaboo. The Israelites believed in God without seeing his face. They believed in a God of miracles, a God of a booming voice, a God of fire and smoke, but a God who worked through people. And then all of a sudden, on that first Christmas morning, the hands come apart and we see Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. What gift did God bring? He brought himself, a revelation of himself. He put on skin, opened his hands, and said, Here I am. God demonstrated his desire for relationship with us by reminding us that even if we can't always see his face, 
God is here. He's here permanently, and he was here physically as a beautiful little Christ child. I invite you to stand now, and let's sing our final hymn, hymn number 193. Let's sing about that child king.